Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. And if those who run the sound could be ready when we finish to go back and just put the words of that hymn back up on the walls. Luke 2, verses 8 through 12. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David has been born to you. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Heavenly Father, help us to apprehend this morning the heights from which Christ came and the depths to which he went for our sake. And Lord, let the same attitude be found in us, that we would be a servant, whether in high position or in low. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Go to the second verse. Lo, within a manger lies he who built the starry skies. That captures our theme this morning as we focus on the Messiah, son of David, son of God. This morning the subject is a servant. And go to the last verse. Well, from there, right? thus to come from highest bliss down to such a world as this. The distance between the glory that Jesus came from as the eternal God the Son to this manger in Bethlehem was far, far greater a distance than from the manger to the cross. Have you ever considered that? Now, I ask you this morning, just so that you you start thinking by way of application, how would you rate your position in life on a scale from 1 to 10? That's going to depend on so many factors, whether you are young and you haven't figured out uh, yet what you're going to be uh, doing in your work in life. It all lies before you. If you're in school, the, the, the different cliques, are you in the in-group, are you outside the group? The, those are factors when you're starting out, you're wondering, are you going to make it? Are you going to be able to, uh, to do what you love to do or that, what you're gifted to do for, for your work to provide? Are you going to make it in that field? Are you going to be a success? In, in midlife, you begin to get a sense of whether you are a success in that field or whether you've not quite accomplished what you dreamed. The midlife crisis can happen either way. Because if you've achieved your dreams, you start asking, well, did it count for anything? And if you haven't, you begin to wonder, do I count for anything? And no matter how high you've risen, the, uh, the effects of age and time begin to affect us. And we, we can feel out to pasture or unable to do what we used to be able to do. How would you rate your position in life on a scale of 1 to 10? 
And I ask you, wherever you rate yourself, what is your attitude in that position? Let's look at our passage uh, this morning. We find that a servant is a very low position. When we find in this passage what has become all sweetness and light to us, you have the nativity scenes with Jesus, the baby Jesus laid in the manger. We envision it in our minds how, uh, how warm and cuddly it was that Jesus was in a manger with straw and people came and visited. He's wrapped in those cuddly clothes. It's more like this, though. One, if it weren't for Jesus being born in Bethlehem and placed in a manger, we never would have heard of Bethlehem. I grew up on Lookout Mountain. On the back of Lookout Mountain, there's a little town called Hinkle, Georgia. Okay? Suppose the great news today was, today, in the town of Hinkle, Georgia, God the Son is coming, and this will be the proof of it. This will be the sign to you. You will find him in the garage, lying in the oil crate, wrapped in, in rags. The reason this was a sign is that you would never expect a baby to be found here. This was not commonplace. This was extraordinary. They knew that what the angels were telling them was true because the angels gave them a sign that would never happen because it was such a low position that God the Son would come into this world to such a low position just boggled the mind. But the angels turned it as messengers of God into proof that this was the very work of God. Because what was unexpected in position is where the Savior was found. He came as a servant. So this baby lying in the manger is the first proof of that, that he condescended to such low position. We've been looking at the parallels with David as Jesus is son of David. David is a a shadow, a, a prefigure of who Christ would be. And David, after he was anointed to be king by Samuel, found himself in this surprising position in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 14 through 23. Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul's attendants came to him, said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the harp. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes upon you, and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, Find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, I've seen the son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the harp. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey, loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor-bearers. Then Saul sent the word to Jesse, sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. Whenever the Spirit from God came upon Saul, David would take his harp and play. Then relief would come to Saul, he would feel better, and the evil spirit 
we leave him. We'll leave for another day the whole subject about the evil spirit coming upon Saul. God is sovereign. He, Satan couldn't touch a hair on Job's head apart from God allowing him to. So that's enough of a clue about that. But consider this. David had already been anointed to be king over Israel. How does he come to the palace? He doesn't come for his inauguration. He comes to be a servant. It's surprising. If we were to translate it into uh, our political system, suppose the first job of the president-elect was to be a page in the Senate. And he didn't know how long that would last. It's surprising that the king would come as a servant. But there's a lesson in that because no matter how high the position, the attitude that the king has is that of a servant. Jesus came as a servant. He left glory to become a servant. This was in our uh, uh, passage that we read for the prayer of confession. Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or clung to, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. It's surprising how the king of glory enters our world. He came as a servant, just as David came to the palace as a servant in a far greater way. Jesus entered our world and demonstrated that he came not to be served, but to serve. And that leads us to the next point. A servant does his master's bidding. They found the baby who was lying in the manger. You see, the angel said, you will find the baby lying in the manger. The shepherds came, and sure enough, there Jesus was. Don't, don't belittle that fact. What if you were assigned to do something really crummy, really low, really base as a servant? You, there was a sewer mess in the church and you were going to, you, know, you were assigned to go clean it up. That's your assignment. To find you actually doing it means you're doing the bidding of your master of the one who told you to that was Jesus God the son in that manger when they found him there Jesus was being obedient as a servant doing his father's bidding just to be there and that was just the start Jesus became obedient to death. As uh, Philippians 2 goes on, it says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus, in his human nature, had to grow up. He you learned how to talk. He learned how to walk. He grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. He was the sinless son of God, but he worked it out 
in obedience to his heavenly father. And that's a theme that comes up over and over and over again, that he would do his father's will. It leads to our third point. Jesus served. The way he carried out his, uh, his position as servant, he served by giving his life as a ransom for many. In Matthew uh, 20, 28, uh, we find Jesus uh, saying, See, I'll make a point and then I'll back it up with scripture. This is Jesus' own words. In uh, 20, 28, Jesus said, Just as the Son of Man, referring to himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. How did he do that? In 1 Samuel uh, 17, uh, we uh, we find David doing his master's bidding. Verses 17, verses 35 through 37, it says, When he was out with the flocks, and went after it, struck it, rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Jesus was out in the fields serving his father, tending the sheep. And when, when the, the lion and the bear came, he did his father's bidding. He took care of the sheep at risk of his own life. Now, Jesus wasn't just at risk of his own life. He served by giving his life as a ransom for many. In John 6, 38, this is a little bit of a sword drill sermon. I just want you to see that this is all over uh, the scriptures. In John 6, verse 38. Jesus said, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus was obedient. He was obedient to his heavenly father. And don't forget that this was not easy to do. For Jesus to become obedient, it meant he had to go against the fears of his human nature. Where is that demonstrated? Think about that. Why wasn't it easy for Jesus, because he was God the Son and sinless and perfect, to just go and do what he was sent to do, to go to the cross? How do we know it wasn't easy? In the Garden of Gethsemane, he was in great agony, as though great drops of blood fell to the ground. I've heard different views about is that a graphic description of his sweating like great drops of blood was it a a metaphor or was he actually bursting his capillaries in his agony over this in either case it was not easy and jesus prayed for three hours and he would come back and find his disciples asleep he started that prayer saying father if there's any other way 
let this cup pass from me. This is where we go when the world would criticize Christians for saying, you're so narrow-minded, saying Jesus is the only way. How can you, you just, you just claim to be right, everybody else is wrong. They just see it as narrow-mindedness. But for Jesus, he was praying, Lord, let there be some other way. Take this cup from me. If there's any other way, please, because this is absolutely the hardest thing possible to do. Not just physically to die on the cross, but to bear the wrath of God that is stored up for our sins on our behalf and in our place. But there was no other way. And Jesus knew that. But he had to prepare himself in prayer. Going to his heavenly father, he ended that prayer instead of, he began the prayer with if there's any other way. But by the time he worked it through, he ended that prayer with, Father, glorify your name. For Jesus, to do his father's bidding, it meant giving his life as a ransom for many. And the attitude that Jesus demonstrated in that prayer was, but thy will, not mine, be done. That's an attitude I ask uh, do you have in everything? Do you look to your heavenly father and say, oh, father, please, please heal me from this. But thy will, not mine, be done. And not just as an appendage to a prayer that I, I know I'm supposed to pray, so I say these words, and I know you're not going to listen to me, so you know, whatever you will. It, it's not cynical. Are you wrestling with God over things that are difficult in your life? But as you go to him, then you may be sweating blood over, over something that's really hard for you. You say, but, but your will, not mine, be done. Please, please, God, make that person love me. I'm so hurt. But thy will, not mine, be done. Please, Lord, please, don't let me lose my job. But, but thy will, not mine, be done. See, if you can begin to, to have in yourself the attitude that was in Christ... There will be a, a, a peace that guards your hearts and minds because you're entrusting yourself to the only one who actually has control over everything. And you know that he loves you. You know it because he's already sent his son to give his life for you. That's proven. Don't ever pray, God, if you love me, do this for me. If you pray that way, you're just declaring to God, I don't believe that you love me because Christ died for my sins. That is a prayer that is without faith. So don't pray that way. But pray, God, I know you love me, but please, please take this cross from me. But you know best. And I trust you. And you'll only allow those things into my life that are for my good and for your glory, even if it costs me everything. Because as you go to that cross... That's not the last chapter in your life. It wasn't in Jesus. After Jesus went to the cross, the the part of, of Philippians 2 that we read together, therefore God exalted him to the highest place. 
Know that whatever God might allow into your life, whatever cross he might lead you to, that you are willing to do if he calls you to it. That's not the last chapter. He will exalt you to glory forever. See, Christians, when we begin to diminish that, is thinking, well, that's just what we say at church. But I want to talk about real life. That means you're defining real life as what happens here on earth. When real life is forever, you will be exalted to glory in him. So that's the application. Your attitude should be the same as that in Christ. If we look back at each of our passages, you'll find in the context that the passages are not just teaching us about Christ, but how we should have the same attitude. That's the way Philippians 2 begins in verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, and he goes on to tell us what Christ uh, did. Let's look at our other passages in Matthew 20, verses 25 through 28. When Jesus talked about uh, coming not to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What's the context of that passage? Let's read beginning in verse 25. Then Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What was Jesus' main point? His main point was not, let me tell you about myself and what I'm going to do. That was the illustration for his sermon. His sermon to them was, I know the way of the world. Those in high position lorded over those beneath them. Not so with you. The Bible is full of this, have this attitude in yourselves. We'll look at one more place, John 13. Jesus had arrived in Jerusalem. This was the night before he went to the cross. And he had the Lord's Supper with him. John tells us more about the actions and the conversations than any of the other Gospels at the Lord's Supper. And this is the way it started in John 13. We'll just read uh, verses 12 and following. When he had finished washing their feet. You're familiar with that, aren't you? Jesus took off his robe, put on the servant's cloth, got down with the towels and washed the disciples' feet. Peter said, no, Lord. Peter was just like, this is, this is beneath your dignity, Lord. We are, we're, we're your disciples. You don't serve us. And Jesus said, if, if you don't let me do this, if you don't let me serve you, then you're not mine. I have nothing to do with you. We need to be served by our Savior. We need that ransom that he made for many. We need what he did on the cross. He serves us, and that's why we are his. We can't say, no, Lord, don't serve us. And then Peter had another. He said, well, that's true. Then wash my whole body, my head, and everything. Jesus said, no. Jesus was in charge, even as he served. He said, it's just your feet that are necessary here. But he took that low position and served them. That's what had just happened. 
But he makes application. He's not just showing us what he's like. It makes a difference for us. When he'd finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. His washing their feet was the illustration. The point of his sermon was, you take on the attitude of a servant as well. Now, in closing, there's a very important distinction. This is an insight that perhaps will help unlock all of this to you. There's a difference between position and responsibility. Often we just conflate the two. They go hand in hand. But when God created us in the beginning, male and female, in his image, he gave us dominion over all the earth. Under God, there is no position that is higher than that. We bear his image. He exerts his lordship over creation through us, his image bearers. And he gave us us dominion over all the earth. And that dominion was not so that we could uh, overlord and domineer uh, for our own sake. It was dominion under the lordship of God himself. What high position. But our first parents turned away from that and were cast out of the garden down into the depths. But we're still his image bearer. Sinners though we be. It's why sin is so atrocious. It's a cosmic treason against the one who created us. And we might feel in this broken and fallen world in very low position as in our relationships, the selfishness that is in human nature just jabs and hurts and tears down. And we can feel torn down by others and in very low position as a result of sin. We may feel in low position in ways that have nothing to do with sin. A baby's in a very low position. A baby is absolutely dependent upon his, his mom, you know, her mom, uh, for life. And when we grow very, very old, we may return to that position. That has something to do with the fall and sin because our world is broken. We were created to live forever. You may be at high position right now in life or in low position. But either way, your attitude should be that of Jesus Christ. At heart, it's the attitude of a servant. There's the parable of the talents where one was given five talents, another two, another one. There's no real distinction between the responsibility of the one who's given five talents and the one who's given two. They both were faithful with their responsibilities. The one who'd been given five handled his responsibilities as a steward of his master's uh, kingdom. And he multiplied it to another five. The one who had two was faithful to his master's bidding. 
And you multiplied it to another two. And to both, the master comes home and says, Well done, a good and faithful servant. The one who was in the low position used his low position perhaps as an excuse to not have a servant's heart. you see the irony in that? The one who had the high position, the more responsibility, had the servant's heart to do his master's bidding. The one who had the low position perhaps was resentful. He thought his master was a hard man because he only got one talent and the others got five and two. Why was his master so hard? So he just buried it in the ground and didn't do anything with it. He was the one who did not do his master's bidding. He was the one who was not the servant. So be careful if you're in low position that you don't use that to say, hey, I'm a servant. You're kind of bitter about that towards God. You're not doing your master's bidding. Here's the, here's the upshot. If you're in high position, do you have an attitude of humility before God that you're but a steward of the responsibilities he has given to you? And if you're in low position, do you feel exalted that you are loved by God through Jesus Christ who gave his life for you and he set before you an eternity of glory? You see, there's this great equalizer in Christ, and it makes a difference in how we live, whatever our position in life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to take this to heart, that we would remember this, and that it would affect the way we, we respond to circumstances when we have been brought down from a higher position to a lower position. Let us remember what Jesus did for us. And let us do your bidding in that and have the attitude, your will, not ours, be done. When we're brought from low position to high position, let it not go to our heads as though uh, we have reason then to look down on others and uh, dominate and domineer in our families or in in, uh, our our work or whatever position we're in. Let us remember that we are but your servants and let us have the attitude, Thy will not be done. Let us do your bidding with these high responsibilities. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.